This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas Farm Bureau. Get resources and information related to the coronavirus pandemic on Texas Farm Bureau's COVID-19 resource page at txfb.us. And Texas 2036 is pursuing long-term data-driven strategies to secure Texas's prosperity through our bicentennial and beyond. Visit www.texas2036.org for more information. Hello, and welcome to the May 6th edition of the Texas Tribune TribCast. This is Alexa Uda. I'm joined virtually this week by Justice and Politics reporter Emma Platoff. Hey there. Managing editor Matthew Watkins, who won't show us the haircut his young daughter gave him. Hello. And Still not. <laughs> take off the hat. <laughs> and executive editor Ross Ramsey, whose hair looks great. Howdy. You can't see it, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of hair, last week I started us off by jokingly asking if I could interest any of y'all in a movie at the end of the week. I didn't think I'd be asking about haircuts so soon, but here we are after Governor Greg Abbott moved more quickly than expected to further reopen parts of the economy. We're going to get into how the governor jumped way ahead of his May 18th benchmark, but before that, uh, Matthew... I'm going to make you lay out sort of what we learned yesterday about some of the reopenings that are coming. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, he had one of his kind of regular press conferences. We didn't really have any indication that there was a big announcement coming, at least along these lines. And then, you know, he talked, went through his kind of regular routine of uh, PowerPoint presentations and looking at lists. And while we had all kind of started to, our attention had started to drift, he all of a sudden kind of dropped it on us that, uh, uh, barber shops, salons, tanning, uh, tanning salons. Is that what you call them? Tanning beds, um, (laughs) are all opening on Friday. Sorry. I don't, I don't tan much. Um, (laughs) 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 they all, uh, are opening on Friday under, you know, some restrictions. Uh, you're not supposed to do walk-ins, um, or, uh, or if you do walk-ins, you got a social distance in line, things like that. Uh, the same kind of 25% capacity. Um, but basically, if you want to get your hair cut starting Friday, you probably can. And you don't have to wear a mask while you do it. And your hair cutter doesn't have to either. Um, beyond that, he didn't even mention it at his press conference, but kind of slipped it in a, um, on a press release that came out afterwards that pools will also be opening on Friday. Um, and then, so Dennis Bonin was right. We actually do have germ pools. Yeah. So you can, you can get your tan artificially or you can get it naturally. At the pool. Yeah, exactly. And then on May 18th, gyms will be open. Um, uh, you know, same kind of 25% capacity rules at this point though. And some restrictions around, you know, you need to be sanitizing the equipment after every use and everything like that. So, you know, basically, it was a it was a shift, you know. Uh, when Abbott rolled out his first wave of announcements, he kind of talked about like we're going to watch how the trends go, you know. And then yesterday, he kind of simultaneously, while saying it's too early to really even measure what the impact of the first wave is, he kind of announced a second wave as well. So it was a it was a pretty big surprise. Well, he also jumped the gun, you know. He said last week when he first started reopening Texas that we're going to do this really slowly. We're going to wait a couple of weeks and see how things are going. Um, we're going to open the restaurants to 25%, the movie theaters, 
you know, a couple of other things, and we'll see how it goes. And then he waited through the weekend and, seen, you know, halfway through Cinco de Mayo, and boom, here's everything else. Um, yep. I wrote a story about this last week, kind of trying to do a survey of public health experts, what they thought about the initial plan. And, you know, I think the headline we went with was mixed reviews, right? This is obviously an issue where there's a ton of robust scientific debate. There are truly people on kind of all sides of this. But universally, one of the biggest things I heard as praise for Abbott's initial plan was, okay, it's really good that we're taking this in phases, right? It's good that we're going to have, it was supposed to be 18 days of data to look at. And that way we can decide, right? Are we whether are we ready to open more or do we need to kind of scale back a little bit? The only criticism of the phase plan I heard at that time was maybe the phases are already too close together. You know, there were some experts telling me 18 days is too short. We really want to see a period of four weeks. So it was just interesting to see coming off that as kind of the top line, um, you know, best on the report card grade that I was hearing from a lot of health experts that that kind of got rolled back. Yeah, I mean, I think the quote from him at the first announcement of reopenings was, we need to see two weeks of data to confirm no flare-up of COVID-19. And now we kind of just even jumped ahead from even waiting for any of that data four days after things actually started to reopen. And so if, if his argument up to now has been, you know, we're being led by doctors and data, can he actually point to that in defending some of this decision making you know obviously there's the long-term data he's looking at that we've been tracking as well but he doesn't he's not actually waiting for the data in terms of getting to phase two of this anymore you know they, they did a couple of things here they what you just said and they also said kind of tipped their hat to the hotspots and said you know we're going to have these quads that go out and you know, meet hot spots in places like nursing homes and meat packing plants and prisons uh, on the border, I guess, where ICE is busy, all of those kinds of places where people congregate. And it was sort of a one-two punch. He didn't really present it that way. He started by reading a book report of all these numbers and everything, but it was sort of a, a one-two punch where he said, um, we've got these, you know, this kind of surge protector strategy and we're gonna open some stuff up. So it was sort of acknowledging that the disease is still out there and running in some places rampant, but he's going to open some things anyhow. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've I've kind of described this to, in conversations with reporters as we're starting to kind of see what the Ab Abbott doctrine is. It hasn't really caught on. I'm, I'm still trying, but basically, this idea of like <laughs> trying to it on you all. Here we go. <laughs> this is yeah. We're we're really starting to see what his philosophy is here, which is basically an acknowledgement that this virus is going to be out there in the community for a considerable amount of time, that basically we're not going to get this back down to zero. There's going to be continued spread. And basically what he appears to be trying to do is manage this to the extent where we can be as open as possible while also allowing hospitals to be able to handle the illnesses that come, right? Like basically we want to be able to treat people as best we can without overwhelming the medical capacity of the state. And I think, you know, we, we saw before Abbott's press conference today, you know, the Democrats were jumping on a recording um, made with lawmakers in which Abbott basically said this, that like, look, it's going to spread more as we open things out more. Uh, you know, Democrats kind of jumped on this as like, look, he's, he's kind of, you know, 
accidentally exposing his plan. But when he was when Abbott was asked about that later, he was basically said like, yeah, that's that's what I've been saying all along. Like people are going to continue to get sick. This is going to continue to spread. We can't stop that. So what we're going to try to do is limit this as much as we can while also, you know, trying to allow people to go shopping and and keep their jobs to the extent that they can. The question, as you said, is like there's a lag here is that you don't just immediately open up and then things go. So if, if you open up too quickly, the danger you run is that things kind of run out of control and, uh, and you're, you, you kind of overwhelm things before you can pull back and, and, and impose more restrictions in the future. Yeah. Just a refresher on that timeline, right? So Friday, May 1st is when restaurants and malls um, were allowed to open For a lot of people, you don't show symptoms. It could be as long as 14 days, right? So let's say you are a person who got infected at a restaurant on May 1st. You may not even, if you you get symptoms at all, you may not see them for 14 days. Then it may take you a couple of days to even get in for a test. And then it may take three or four days for the test results to come back, if not longer. So that's a period where, you know, the first guy in line at Wendy's on Friday is maybe not even a confirmed case until almost the end of the month. And, and beyond that, it's not just that. Is once you get tested, that doesn't mean you are experiencing the worst symptoms, right? Like you, you might not, you might get tested, but not have to go to the hospital for days after that, right? Which is the real thing. I mean, one of the challenges of measuring how much this is spreading now is that we had such a shortage of testing a month ago, several weeks ago, that we don't really have a great baseline of where this is going up. You know, we finally started to make some strides on testing. But because we have more tests, the numbers are going to go up, even if it isn't spreading exponentially. So, like, in addition to kind of dealing with all these challenges of lag time and everything, we're flying blind a little bit about how much the extent that this virus is out there in the community. You know, I think the testing thing is still a problem. You know, the testing has improved considerably since it since a couple of weeks ago, as you said, but it's still really, really low. And, you know, most of the Places where they've gotten more extensive testing, they've found really high numbers of asymptomatic people who get the disease and don't have any symptoms, and pre-symptomatic people, more to Emma's, Emma's point about, you know, people who have the disease but don't know it yet and will show some signs of it in, you know, 7 or 10 or 14 days or something like that. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting here is in sort of reasserting control over this and preempting some of the local stuff and, you know, establishing a statewide policy, Abbott owns the results now. And if it works out really well, this is going to make him. And if it doesn't work out really well, it's going to be a a political boondoggle as well as a medical one. Yeah. If we, you know, if you think people are mad now about how things are shut down, imagine how angry they're going to be if we have to go back to what we were doing before, where it was a complete stay at home order. People are going to be furious about that. Everybody out of the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's not just the thing is, is like we we have rightfully so focused a lot on the testing, which even Abbott yesterday said, you know, we're not quite there yet. But what we've heard from public health experts is that if you're going to reopen things, the tracing part of it needs to ramp up as well. And if the first guy at Wendy's that Emma mentioned doesn't get (laughs) tested until day seven or eight, you don't get the results for, you know, at least another few days after that. Think about all the people that person could have come in contact with in that window that we, you know, by 
the measures we've been given were not set up to even trace to then further quarantine them or isolate them so that this doesn't continue spreading. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions there about contact tracing. The state has said they want to ramp up to, I think, a total of 4000 workers. But um, if you think about just the dozens and dozens of interactions that any individual might have, especially if we're talking about a person who does feel kind of comfortable and safe going out into the community, and that's maybe where they pick something up anyway, um, it's a lot of work to trace back, okay, where have you been in the last 14 days? Who are the 200 people you may have been in the same gas station with or whatever the case may be? Um, I kind of want to raise... There's 200 yeah. people. I'm sorry. It should have been a Whataburger, not a Wendy's example. I, my uh, East Coast liberal is showing, but you know, I want to bring up the politics of though. I uh, of the politics of this though. One thing we saw yesterday before the governor made his um, sort of surprising to many of us announcement about the earlier opening of salons and barbershops, we saw two Republican members of the Texas House kind of go rogue by getting haircuts and just what, what are your guys' takes on to be sure that it was documented right right yeah you know i mean i think there's no question that there has been you know particularly among the members of the freedom caucus an attempt to pressure abbott to do more particularly along around the haircutters you know in addition to what um our boss evan has deemed the Kane mutiny, which was Briscoe Kane and uh, Mike Lang going and getting haircuts. Uh, it was, uh, you know, you also had the uh, barber in Dallas who uh, uh, continued to violate the order to keep barbershops closed. And, you know, this uh, also yesterday was, uh, you know, what, held in contempt and, and sent to the county jail for seven days. And, it's all those and bad hair. You're justified for all those bad haircuts where you wanted the barber to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, how much that affected Abbott's thinking, uh, we don't we can't really know for sure. Um, but, you know, it's clear that Abbott's view on barbershops changed in the last four days because he didn't include this in the first one. And there has been no evidence by his, kind of his own admission. There's been no evidence that would kind of change your mind in terms of what the numbers of the reports are saying. So, you know, that you kind of uh, eliminate the possibilities for what was driving that. And you do makes you do wonder how much politics played a role in this. Well, if you open all the barbershops and all the hair salons and all the nail shops and all the tanning salons in Texas, you're not going to revive the economy. You're getting rid of a, of a pressure point. You know, people are locked up and their hair is getting long and they're getting cranky about it. And it's just a thing that, you know, your constituents are moaning about. But it's also the kind of thing where you can let off a little bit of steam um, and maybe get away without endangering a whole lot. If you allowed the these shops to open 100%, you might actually get a medical uh, problem. You know, you might actually spread the disease some. But if you take the pressure off by saying, you know, look, you can go get a haircut or you can go get your hair done, but only 25% of you at a time, it still may be a hassle, but it moves it off the political lineup and, and you don't have to fight the battles with the Mike Langs and the Briscoe Canes along the way. I mean, I have been wondering, like, will we ever get to a point where you don't see this sort of divide in opinions of how this is going on, how these openings are being set up, how these policies are being set up. Because I do think, you know, there are some limitations 
in this like in between phase we're in. Like at first, there was a sort of collective will for everyone to hunker down and protect our most vulnerable. And now we're starting to kind of figure out what we can reopen and what is okay. And we know infections are going to go up as a result of that. We know that that means the lives of many, many people. And it could be anyone, right? Because the virus is so contagious. But there are also people who will bear the brunt of even some reopenings much more than others, including with their lives. And so, you know, I keep wondering, like, do we think there are any benchmarks that would have gotten everyone or at least more people to a place where there's more of a collective response to these reopenings? I mean, could that collective will to hunker down have been maintained if people felt more collectively confident confident in the mitigation strategies or, you know, did the inability of really get a hold on this early on get us to a place where we're just kind of okay accepting that some people will be infected and some people could die as a result of those infections? You know, Texas had a pretty good first run here. The social distancing worked pretty well and, and the numbers in Texas are lower than they are in some other states. You know, we've had a better experience with this. And, you know, part of that, I think, is why Abbott's, that's part of the reason for Abbott's optimism and for the optimism of some others. The question is whether opening up social distancing, as the governor is doing now, spreads the disease um, faster enough to endanger the capacity of the hospitals. The, The proposition here has never really been that the social distancing will stop the spread of the disease. The idea was that it will slow the spread of the disease so that it never goes above the capacity of the hospitals. And they they think that they're under that number. They know, I mean, Abbott's saying it out loud, they know that if you let people mingle more, you're gonna spread this disease faster, but they think they can still keep it under that capacity number, whatever that is. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we, we're not going to shut down grocery stores. We still need, like, supply chains for basic necessities, right? And, and through that, it just is a fact that this disease will continue to spread, you know? And we're in this situation where the, um, the like, most optimistic vaccine timelines are still, you know, 12 to 18 months away. Um, it's not even certain whether these vaccines will work or how long they'll be effective and things like that. So, you know, I, I think one question it is, I think it is a completely valid question to be asking, like how, how much is it worth reopening the economy when people's lives are at stake? I think if if those that are criticizing Abbott, it is also a valid question to be asking kind of, you know, how possible is it even possible to shut down the economy at the extent that it was for the next year, year and a half. And if not, then like, what is the exit strategy here? Um, because on, there's not a there's not a good outcome in all of this, no matter which way you go. I mean, you want to jump in earlier. Yeah, I just, I would go back to Matthew's point about this is where we're kind of seeing like, you're going to be happy, I'll use your phrase here, an Abbott doctrine, right? This is a real <laughs> example of the state's as laboratories for democracy, you know, Abbott is making choices that the governors of California and New York and are, are different, right, from from what we're seeing on the coast and what we're seeing even in other southern states. And um, there's a lot of trial and error. There's going to be a lot of trial and error across the country and across the world until there is 
a drug that works or a vaccine. And as we know, it's going to be months or years until that happens. So everyone in an executive position is kind of staking out a different spot on that spectrum of where you fall between the greatest possible restrictions to present to prevent the spread of the disease and the greatest possible reopening to try and re you know re-trigger the economy. So I guess we're just gonna have to see is the unsatisfying answer. Yeah. I mean I think the the last thing I would add to this part of the conversation is that, you know, yes, the the social distancing and the closures were always intended to slow the spread of this not to, you know, completely stop it because there's no treatment. But something we know now that we didn't know at the start of this is that this isn't affecting everyone in the same way. Like we've seen even early incomplete data that the people who are getting infected at higher rates are people of color, particularly black Texans. And the people who are dying are black Texans and then people and other people of color behind them. And so that is a data point that we didn't know before, and we know that now. And I don't think we can look at the decisions that are being made now without acknowledging that point. Before we continue, uh, we've got two more sponsors we've got to go to. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do it, so let's do this now. $10 million opportunity to meet unprecedented challenges facing Texans. Sponsored by Lida Hill Philanthropies. Lone Star Prize seeks solutions in the areas of health, workforce, and the environment. Find out more at LoneStarPrize.org. And Texas Community Colleges provide pathways for all Texans to advance to the next level. We're accessible, affordable, and relevant. Visit TACC.org. The other thing I wanted to talk to you before, I want to talk about before we run out of time is the surge teams that we mentioned earlier and that Abbott announced yesterday. Um, You know, when we first started hearing about reopening, the governor said, we're going to watch the data for flare-ups before proceeding. Obviously, that's not happening in terms of some of these additional reopenings. But he did announce these sort of surge response teams, indicating it would fall on them to help with flare-ups. And so, I mean, what do we think about this strategy versus, you know, a return to local restrictions that we had at the start of this that could be tailored to specific outbreaks in specific communities? You know, Abbott made reference yesterday to the possibility of, you know, local orders here and there. He didn't say whether they would come from him or come from local authorities, but he did say in places where there are flare-ups, we might need to, you know, put some more social distancing in place. An example of this, I don't know that they need to do it yet, but an example is Jolie McCullough had some reporting on the flare-ups in prisons where 70% of the inmates and uh, COs tested, maybe it was just inmates who were tested, have the disease. Um, Go to someplace like Anderson County. They have five prison units in Anderson County. They employ more than than 2,000 people. And those employees go into the prisons where there are demonstrated cases of, you know, hotspots, and then they go home or they go to, you know, 25% restaurants or they go to, you know, the hardware store or wherever they go. You've got a possibility for community spread right next to a hotspot and you have the possibility that someone will have to step in, whether it's a governor or a mayor or a county judge or whatever, and say, everybody back in your house. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the you know, the other thing that came up yesterday 
where the meatpacking plants, we're reopening things as infection rates are growing you know, staggeringly high in these areas that are near meatpacking plants, which of course are powered mostly by Hispanics and immigrants. And, you know, the, when we, we were looking at Moore County, for example, where we've been watching the rate go up for weeks, when the state first confirmed it was tracking a cluster of cases tied to JBS, which runs the meatpacking plant, I think that was April 21st, there were 114 cases in this cluster. Days later, when we asked for an update, that was up to 159 cases, including one death. And as of Sunday, there were 243 cases tied to one meatpacking plant alone. There are four more in the Texas panhandle that officials have sort of identified. And the idea was we're going to send this surge team to help. Dishes has visited the plants. The CDC has visited the plants. But I'm still hearing from workers who say they're not even being told by their employer when they were possibly exposed to someone who has tested positive. And so when you kind of think about everything that has happened in these communities up until now, I guess the question is, is this coming too late? Is there any other, you know, when you think about meatpacking plants, prisons, nursing homes, none of these are acceptable, right? But the idea right. that we're waiting until now feels at odds with kind of the urgency we were hearing about containing the spread. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we've learned is that this virus, you know, it doesn't just spread evenly across the city, state, or world, you know, the, it's, uh, it, it pops up in pockets and initially those pockets can be places like nursing homes or meatpacking facilities or things like that. But then that eventually spreads and you get to situations where entire cities, you know, are, are, are facing issues. And the Texas is a massive state geographically and just in terms of population. And I think a one size fits all approach is going to be a big challenge. You know, this what's going on in Amarillo and Moore County right now is kind of the first sign of that. But I, I can imagine that it, it, it won't be the last. This is not going to affect every part of the state evenly. And and the state's response, you know, needs to reflect that. And you hope it gets better as there's more cases, you know. Um, right now we're in our sort of first round in a lot of ways. And you know, what happens in Moore County may be a lesson for what happens next somewhere else. You know, one of the big holes here, um, you know, that we also reported on with ProPublica was, you know, the information in nursing homes in Texas is terrible. You can't tell necessarily where the hotspots are, at least the public can't tell, and can't hold accountable the people who are able to tell. You know, they're not telling the families, they're not telling the residents, they're not telling the staff, and they're not telling the public what's going on. So unless you can spot and identify the problems and then learn from your mistakes as you go, this isn't going to improve. Well, and Ross, you mentioned that the governor like left some room for local policies to come back, depending on these hotspots. But if we're talking about, you know, we were just talking about the like get everyone out of the pool and how reclosures would go on later, I can only imagine how the the prospect of reclosing things down in places where we could have been quicker to contain outbreaks. I mean, I, I just kind of feel really difficult 
that we get to a point where things are being closed up again because that's proven to be politically unpopular for people in power. It it would be easier where there's an outbreak, you know, where you've got a real problem and there's a flare up and you tell tell everybody, hey, we've got a real problem. Uh, There's a story in New Mexico, for example, um, I believe it's the Navajo reservation over in Gallup has uh, outbreak and a flare up bad enough that the governor basically closed the city down, closed everything, everybody stay in your house. Um, she didn't close the whole state. And I think, you know, things like that might be models for this. If around a particular place, a nursing home or a prison or a meat packing plant, meat packing plant or whatever it is, uh, you might get a local alarm where you say, hey, everybody get in your house and you don't have to say it in all the other parts of the state. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the great ironies here, right, is that we've sort of gone back and forth on how much we believe the power of local control should be guiding us through this crisis. At first, uh, the reason the governor didn't want to issue a a statewide stay-at-home order was that the appearance and the outbreak of the disease was so different across the state. Um, Clearly, that's continued to be the case, right? There are still counties and um, you know, in far west Texas that haven't seen a single case and feel pretty confident that their folks are healthy. but of course, we saw the governor kind of reverse his position on that when he did issue the order. And now we kind of seem like we're back to the first place of saying, um, no, we're going to make one policy statewide. And the question is, how long is that going to stick this time? Yeah, but it's yeah. not really local control because he's not giving the power back to the mayors and the county judges. He's just saying uh, we may have local orders coming from my office. Right. All right. Well, that is all the time we have today. As always, thanks to Spoon for our theme music and to our sponsors this week, the Texas Farm Bureau, Texas 2036, Lone Star Prize, and the Texas Association of Community Colleges. On behalf of Emma, Matthew, and Ross, and our producer, Michael Ray, this is Alexa. Thanks for listening. No fantastic outtakes. I thought about taking my hat off right when you were doing that read to see if it would distract you, but I (laughs) I thought it was too late. That would have been gas. That would have been worth it. That would have been perfect, Matthew. You can still do it now. You can still do it now, by the way. Yeah, it's okay. We'll save it for next week. Let it let it grow back another quarter inch, right? (laughs) Yeah.